Hello there, my friends. I am Ted King. Welcome to another episode of King of the Ride podcast. Now, I wouldn't yet call it routine, but we're hitting something of a a stride here with Laura here on the podcast as my guest slash co-host. You know, the mood is right. Hazel's gone to bed. We've had dinner. The house is quiet. So it's time to podcast and chill. Kidding? Serious? Maybe a little bit of both? In any event, very friendly comments do come rolling in when Laura is on the podcast. So here we are again. No surprise, if you look out the window here in the northern hemisphere, maybe there's some snow on the ground, or, or you're looking at what time the sun is setting, smack in middle of the afternoon, it's winter. We got a foot of snow here in Vermont yesterday. Single digits are forecasted all throughout the week. Now, one of the reasons we moved to Vermont is to embrace winter. So that means Nordic and Alpine skiing. It means hiking. It means snowshoeing. It means the bane of every kid in New England's existence and why we had Hazel shoveling snow. Again, I'm kidding. Winter is sweet. We love it. And we still love riding our bikes in it. One thing that helps us embrace winter is now living in a time where proper winter riding gear exists. That wasn't necessarily the case even 10 years ago. So from the clothing to the accoutrements you're going to put on your hands, head, and feet, to the fenders, to which winter water bottles I recommend, how to wash your bike or <clears throat> or to not wash your bike, which tires to choose, how to train both indoors and outdoors, that is the purpose of this episode. I threw the invitation out there for you to send in your questions about how to bundle up and prepare for a proper winter training ride, and literally more than a thousand questions came pouring in. Thank you very much for sending those in. So over the course of the next 90 minutes here, I hope to start chipping away at that barrier so you can enjoy your winter riding. And I don't just mean slog through it, I mean truly enjoy it. On that note, and a quick aside, but still very relevant, I mentioned bar mitts as a handlebar accessory that comes in very handy, pun intended, in my winter riding. Since this episode was recorded, I've had some lengthy conversations with the founder of bar mitts. I learned the history of the company, which coincidentally, and perhaps you wouldn't have guessed it, originates in paragliding, of all things. I've also learned that they make a model for extreme cold, aptly named Extreme Cold. These bad dogs have fleece inside. There's a zipper for some temperature regulation. There's even a cuff. So in this podcast, I refer to bar mitts as more of a frontal fairing, basically a shield to deflect the wind from your hands. And I stand by that, and I love using my bar mitts for that purpose. But now, a heads up, they make a warmer model too. They can keep your hands warm as toast, even if you want to go paragliding. There you have it, folks. Without further ado, welcome to the King family living room in the heart of a January winter's evening. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. And rolling. What are you drinking? Well... Uh, it wouldn't be a King of the Ride podcast if I wasn't holding a beer. And this is the lowest alcohol beer I've ever held. This is between zero and 0.05% alcohol. Um, this is an alcohol-free beer called Nanny State from BrewDog. 
This podcast comes courtesy of Dryuary, which Laura and I are both partaking in. Today is January 11th. I know how it's going for me. Laura, how is Dryuary going for you? Oh, just fine, I suppose. You don't have the shakes? <laughs> I don't have the shakes. Um, do you have the Jonesings? I do love how alcohol pairs with food, and you and I both very much enjoy our food. So when we partake in our meals, it sometimes feels like something, that compliment is missing. However, our non-alcoholic brew selections have helped in that department. Agreed. Um, I just wish they made a non-alcoholic wine that tasted as close to wine as non-alcoholic beer does to beer. It pairs well with food. It pairs well with five o'clock. It pairs well with cheese and wine and happy hour. And the next thing that came to mind, given what you just said, is you had asked me yesterday, do, you, do they make an alcohol-free cider? <laughs> Don't which, make fun of me. <laughs> to which I said, yeah, it's called cider. Uh, you're right. There's something funky and fermented about hard cider. Uh yeah, we have stumbled upon BrewDog. BrewDog, I think, is a European brewery by origins. They've migrated to the United States, and so far they are winning the AF alcohol-free beer uh, ongoing championship knockout series of champions tournament in the King household. Especially in the IPA category, Yeah, the category of which we partake the most commonly. Yeah, I mean, no one wants to make a bad alcohol-free beer. This podcast is not about beer, by the way. But there are many bad alcohol-free beers out there. And this one, I mean, this Nanny State, it's like, it's a robust, really dark amber. It just it, It's got great uh, effervescence. Their stout, their wake-up wake up call stout is like, quite frankly, extraordinary. Anyway, this is not an advertisement. BrewDog does not pay us to say this. So, well, Speaking of Ugh. your alcohol-free streak, hmm. how's your resting heart rate looking? Oh, man, it's on a, it's on a perpetual uh, trajectory down. Turns out having alcohol does affect your sleep. It does affect your sleep patterns. It does affect your resting heart rate. It does affect your HRV. These are all fun tidbits of data that we are collecting from our uh, whoops. It's fun to wake up over the past 11 days and be like, wow, look, our resting heart rate dropped again. The longest streak of lo- a low resting heart rate that I've had in months. Yeah, I was looking through. They have a averaging feature uh, where they show your average heart rate per week. And I was scrolling week by week by week by week back. My resting heart rate right now is 40 for the week. And the last time I had that, it's been above 40 since July. Oh, sheesh. And who knows why it was 40 then? I don't know. That's probably peak fitness. Probably was peak fitness for 2020. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, there's something to be said, you know, about who knows what. I can't wait for February 1st. I don't know about you. January 31st. (laughs) It's your birthday. Well, yeah, January 31st is my birthday. And I did say that I was probably going to bend the rules right around then. Perhaps get crunked. Well, anyway... We are here to talk about cold weather or cold temperatures of which we have differing opinions as we sit here in our home, which is 
Well, our thermostat reads 66 degrees. Mm-hmm. And I am here in my down jacket mm-hmm. and down slippers and pants. I'm in a t-shirt and jeans. I will say I have my wool socks on, but that's just because that's the first pair that I grabbed. And this is, I would describe this as typical. This is our typical attire. Often we'll all be on these Zoom calls, FaceTime calls, et cetera, you know, catching up with family and, and they'll be like, Laura, uh, are you <laughs> freshly indoors from the outdoors? Why are you wearing your down jacket? <laughs> Usually I have a beanie on. <laughs> and it's it's your winter attire, right? I mean, you're not complaining about it. Like you have a nice fashionable warm jacket on. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't I get cold easily. And I say that as a preface to this conversation because it, I don't think, even though I get cold easily and the cold in Vermont very much scared me um, prior to moving, I say that because if there is a listener out there that can empathize with my feelings, don't despair. You can still get out in the cold and not be miserable. It is possible. Truth. I think, yeah, of all the things that you might have been worried about, ferocious winters was probably on the podium of top three things that might be intimidating about coming to Vermont from, I mean, you well, just bad weather in general. Correct. Um, you migrated from home, born and raised in Seattle. Then you went to the Bay Area for the better part of nearly a decade. And you left Seattle because you don't like bad weather. And then you went to sunny California. And then I said, great, let's move to the second or third cloudiest part of uh, North America, which is the Champlain Valley. Well, interestingly enough, you bring that up. I've been thinking about, well, I wanted to ask you, what is the coldest that you've ever been? And in thinking about, well, specifically on the bike, and what is the coldest I've, I've been thinking about, what is the coldest that I've ever experienced on the bike? Like anecdotally? Yes. Okay. That just pops into your mind right away. And the times that pop into my mind right away, one is Northern California and one is Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) And strangely not Vermont. uh, A couple weeks ago, you did have to come rescue me when there was, I got caught in a rainstorm. It was like high 30s and pouring down rain. And that was the first time I've ever had to get picked up, I think. And it, that was a pretty cold day, but I've had I've had colder in the Bay Area on really rain. They've both been on really rainy, you know, mid-30 degree riding days. I'm not a hero. I'm just a sometimes taxi driver. <laughs> I'll go pick you up. Um, one of the coldest experiences I've ever had on two wheels was Tour of California. It was a February event. It was probably 2009 because I was racing for Bissell at the time. It was in the breakaway on the very long stage down to, that went all the way down Highway 1. That was the year. It was freezing. It was miserable. I was being fed directly food from my team director into my mouth. He had to zip my jacket up because I couldn't zip it with no finger dexterity. That was the race where riders literally went, one guy went directly from the breakaway into an ambulance into the hospital because he was hypothermic and pedaling. Riders would ride behind the cars in the peloton and in the caravan in order to get some heat off the cars. Um, Yeah, cold. It's cold in California. So it's all about what you're prepared for. It's all about what you're dressed for. And that is what what we are going to be talking about here. So... 
presumably we've already gone through the introduction in the introduction to this podcast, so I won't overstate anything here. Let's just dive into some of the questions which we have uh, summarized because I am floored with the response. Literally over a thousand questions came in, so certainly we're not going to be able to answer all of them, but, but there are definitely some commonalities here. What do you say? Okay, so we're going to start with equipment. Uh, maybe we start with clothing, actually, and kind of just discuss head to toe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what helps keep you warm. Now, yeah, this is if we're going to jump to clothing first, this is going to come with the preface that we are sponsored. And so we have, we are going to mention some brands, perhaps Velocio. We should also point out that Velocio is designed by friends of ours here in New England, clothing made in Italy. So it's an easy. One of the things they do best, I believe, yeah. is cold weather <laughs> attire. Exactly. Because you really, really get to truly test, test the limits of, um, of gear when you are in it day in and day out. Accurate. So let's just go into clothing. Um, best clothing choices for deep winter riding was one of the questions that came in. Um, well, the way I would lead this question is your body is a furnace. So, so long as you are moving and so long as you are well-dressed, you can stay warm. That said, it takes dressing correctly for the right conditions to be uh, to be staying warm. And furthermore, furthermore, I don't remember what I was going to say. All this aff beer. Well, <laughs> moisture management is a major component, I would say, of staying warm. And you really, you really had to learn where your limits were on your James Bay descent trip, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, um, because the temperatures were as cold as negative 40 degrees and any amount of sweating could turn the situation dangerous in a matter of minutes, correct? Accurate. Very good point. So we're pedaling along between negative 30 and negative 40 degrees in the James Bay. And I thought that I was warm as toast wearing my, I had a, uh, I had a Velocia winter jacket on which is a, it's a piece that they're not making right now anymore because they've really gone into the layering aspect, which is something that I, adamantly believe in but it was a very warm riding jacket and I, I was nice and warm and pedaling along and then I noticed that whenever I would stop my jacket would turn into a frozen ice vest because I was in negative 30 negative 40 degree temperatures I was so warm I was sweating and then that becomes dangerously apparent when you're when you're suddenly have an ice vest on so yeah layering is a key to heat management and warmth management um, you can wear, I can get away with wearing a surprisingly little amount of clothing. Um, we're going to talk about fingers and toes here shortly, but you're, as long as you are moving, your body is a furnace. And so, you know, you can get away with wearing relatively little. Let's just like talk about specifics. Um, well, starting head to toe, I'll, I'll start go. with um, a really good cycling winter cap is I think a piece that can... Um, it can make a huge difference in being in being able to shift uh, your body or I guess manage your body temperature, right? So um, 
the first thing sometimes that will come off if I'm really warm is instead of a core layer will be my hat because you you maintain a lot of heat or lose a lot of heat through your head. And that's going to be temperature dependent. Like I would not take mine off in the winter because I'm also prone. I should point out, I can ride in really cold temperatures. I'm so prone to cold fingers and cold toes. And with that, and the reason I'm saying it is cold ears. So yeah, winter, when it's like deep winter riding, I have a winter generally wool cap on that's going to go over my ears. If it's a little bit warmer, I mean, I can be doing it in the 30s and 40s and I'm going to wear a cycling cap, traditional cycling cap. Flocio makes a bunch of rad ones. What about you? Like if you're taking your hat off, what temperature is it? Yeah, um, I actually recently, we did that winter century uh, yeah, about a month yeah. and a half ago. And when we set out, it was like, it felt a little warmer than we anticipated, which was high 30s. And then over the course of the ride, we were riding up to Stowe and um, our elevation was getting a little higher and it got colder and colder. And so in the beginning of the ride, the first thing I did as I noticed I was overheating was take my hat off. Hmm. Um, So for the first half of the ride, I had that off. And then as it got progressively over the day, it ended up snowing on us. But as it got progressively colder and colder throughout the day, putting that hat on felt it it really added to the like I suddenly felt really warm Mm -hmm. Um, so that's just been notable to me that so much heat is can be lost or kept with just a cap totes and this heat management temperature fluctuations are going to be really noticeable especially if you're riding in places with a fair amount of climbing if you're going to go you know, if you have a climb that is anything north of a minute to five minutes above that, like you're going to want to unzip so as to get a little bit more breeze going so that you're not sweating. Um, similar to what you're saying about a hat. Like if you know you're going to be in an extended climb or you're going to a colder or warmer area, good time to take your hat off. Good yep. time to put your hat on. Good time to unzip. Good time to zip up. So moving down vertically, um, a good base layer. A good wool base layer, I think, makes a whole lot of sense. Um, colder days, you're going to go with a long sleeve base layer. Um, again, Velocio makes... They make a whole variety of them, and truly, you can't go wrong. Um, one awesome piece that I've been wearing a lot of, especially doing a variety of different outdoor activities, be it snowshoeing or Nordic skiing or alpine touring, is their Merino 210. It is both sort of a fashionable piece. It's that gray one that almost fits and wears like a sweatshirt, but it's still thin and it's not crazy, not too hot by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the one that I would wear. Between that and the Alpha long sleeve base layer, I'd wear that into single digits or or sub-zero temperatures. And then on top of that, I would wear something like ultralight rain jacket. And don't be thwarted by the word rain jacket. It is super light, but it's also going to protect you from wind. Um, easy zip on and off. Fits great. Fits snug. Similar to the signature soft shell. Very good. I'm looking over if you had any questions. Uh, no, I was just going to kind of summarize for people who may not be familiar with Velocio as a brand and the names of these items. Um, I guess I would summarize it in saying they have a number of base layers. Um, I have found over time as I really honed in 
you know, what temperature ranges are best for what pieces of gear. I mean, I would encourage you even to, you know, maybe write down what you wore in certain temperature ranges. Um, because after a while, you know, I have it dialed. If like that Merino 210 base layer that you mentioned, that's it's thicker. It's probably, it's the thickest base layer I've ever owned. I've learned that I wear that and pair it with a windproof jacket. So when Ted mentioned this signature jacket, it's a it's a windproof jacket. Um, and just those two layers alone, I can be warm um, probably to 25 degrees. I don't know if you would, maybe you could even go a little lower than that. But mm-hmm. point being, you, you really kind of learn the temperature range that a certain piece will work work for. And then, um, you know, and then as you're getting a little warmer, you'll, I, I would swap it for a lighter base layer. And then maybe if it was even warmer, you know, you could wear a sleeveless base layer. Um, but main point being a variety of base layers and a paired with a wind blocking jacket is really kind of our usual go-to. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we're talking to an audience that's all over the world and all sorts of different temperatures. So here, yeah, we're talking single digits, sub-zero, 20 degrees, teens, 30s, 40s, 50s. It's all, when I say that you can go to Velocio and check out their base layers, and there's there's definitely one right for you. I mean, in effect, they, they break down to about three different areas. There is Merino Mesh. And those are that is for your warmest temperatures, and they make those in sleeveless, a short sleeve like a t-shirt, and a long sleeve. So that is the lightest. From there, they have the 160, and 160 means just a little bit thicker. That's the one that I might be wearing down into the 30s. You might be a little bit more comfortable 30s to 40s, and then into the 20s and teens would be the 210 and or the Alpha. The Alpha is sweet because it has pockets, which, of course, we're talking about a, a under jersey, so that is going to be fitting under that outer outer wind blocking layer. And therefore, if you want to like keep a water bottle super close to you, so as to prevent it from freezing, that makes it really handy. Put your your delicious untapped waffle in there to keep that toasty, so you're literally warming it up while you're riding. Um, I mean, these things sound a little bit funny and nuanced, but yeah, if you're riding cold enough temperatures, that's that's legit. I don't know about you, the Alpha, which is kind of like a, a fuzzy um, polar fleece type layer that goes underneath a wind shell. I probably wouldn't wear it unless it's sub 30. Would you agree? Oh, completely. Yeah. That one's super warm and absurdly comfortable. So yeah, I wear that sub 30 and I mean, I would wear that yeah, 25 and below. Yeah. And of course, there are vests. There are various other layers. One thing that is uh, quite handy is their ultralight jacket. This one like packs away into next to nothing. It's like the size of a golf ball. Um, I think that piece is well suited for like. It's just emergency. Yeah, like emergency in California on a summer day. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Very, if you want to have that, that's last... a nice little stowaway jacket for summer cold Correct. mornings. Correct. I'm saying it can be an emergency piece if you if you find that you are perhaps underdressed and you thank goodness you have that, you're going to be able to block wind. Okay, that's a nuance. <laughs> I, I slightly misspoke. Moving down the whole body, we got a great question. I'm going to read it aloud. 
Apart from the obvious cold hands and toes, I find my nether regions can get a bit icy on longer rides despite wearing a base layer and lined pants. What am I missing? Wind blocking bibs? Hopefully I'm not alone in this. Terrific question. Um, unfortunately, or f- f- I don't know what to say because you've mentioned the lined pants. Um, for cold weather riding, Velocio basically has two layers of uh, warmth. There is the thermal bibs. I'm going to wear thermal bibs probably down to about 25 degrees, um, and that can start to be a stretch. Or below that, they have their zero bib tights. Zero across the line refers to their ultra cold apparel. Um, your thoughts on these two bib tights? Thermals are definitely my go-to, um, and I would probably put the zeros on five degrees above you at around 30 or below. Mm-hmm. Thermals. Um, well, must point out, mm-hmm. especially for women, um, the best thing about Velocio bibs is, I, I speaking of time, remembering times when I was insanely cold, if you didn't have a bib in which you can just pull it down and go to the bathroom, you used to have to take off every layer of jersey or top that you had on and... Um, you know, take your take your bib straps off to go to the bathroom, and so often those bathrooms were like an outdoor public restroom, and you would just completely freeze having to take all your layers off. So, thankfully, that problem has been solved. Vlogia makes what's called a fly free because it used to be a zipper with a fly, and now they have removed the zipper, and you literally can just squat down and pull the back. Um, Pull the back down and do your business. And now we're getting cold. Well said. That is not a message that I could have said quite as easily as it enters the mystery of women peeing. Um, but yeah, in short, guys, women are basically able to pee with their bibs on as easy as we can, which is a miracle. And so if you're getting your your spouse, your, your female spouse into riding, I highly recommend the Velocio bibs. All right, we got a whole lot of equipment questions. Um, let's what about go. Socks. Socks, great question. Uh, I mean, I'm going to stay only on. There's one pair of socks I wear all winter. Is that the same for you? Yeah. It's the Velojo wool. Winter wool. Yep. Yep. Nothing better. They remind me of uh, the Merino 210. I mean, they're they're fashionable in their austere gray. They're a little bit thicker. They match everything. Yeah, they're awesome. Yep. Wool socks. So yeah, that that was my segue. Shoe choice. Hey Ted, how do you keep your feet warm? So here is my trick, which is as simple as beginning with a warm pair of socks. So the Velocio winter wools. Then you put on your cycling shoe. This is for the higher temperatures of cold weather riding. Put on your cycling shoe. From there, I put the chemical toe warmer from the brand Hot Hands, I believe. Although, just go to your local outdoor and or Amazon dealer and get these. And we do differentiate the toe warmers and hand warmers. Toe warmers are really handy because they have the sticky pad. So I put the sticky pad on top of my shoe. And then I'll put my zero booties on top of all that. So the the toe warmer can't move, my feet are warm. That'll provide me... Oh, into the... I mean, I'm going to wear that into the mid to high 20s. Um, that toe warmer is not going to stay 
producing warmth for more than hour and a half for two hours, no matter what the, that says um, on the wrapper. So I'm going to do that for the quote unquote shorter rides. And if I'm going to be doing, especially the road rides, um, I like wearing my road shoes when I'm going to do a road ride. So I got to ensure that the road is dry on these circumstances. From there, if the weather's a little bit more foul, um, we have been both big fans of the 45 North Ragnarok mountain bike shoe. Uh, by and large, waterproof. It's got sort of a neoprene cuff to, to keep most of the road crap out of there. What do you think about those boots? Or oh, these are still them. in the shoe category. You love them? I love them. Um, I have a wide forefoot, but the rest of my foot is pretty narrow. They're just roomy and incredibly comfortable. Um, I would pro- I wear them 32 and below, maybe 30 degrees and below. And you talking about the size of your foot is helpful because the next move for the layer of cold when I've graduated from going cycling shoe to warmer is to wear the Ragnaroks warm sock and put the toe warmer on top of my sh- toe in the Ragnarok shoes. Do you ever do that? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Even though the, the, the wrapper is going to tell you do not put it anywhere besides beneath your feet. I think they don't want you to singe the top of your feet. But this is our this is inside tips and tricks with Ted and Laura. So yeah, I put it on top of my toes. And I'll find well, that that's going to produce more warmth than the exposure it's getting uh, in the previous scenario. So you're going to get two or three hours there. I have a there. couple of friends and their trick is to use a dog poop bag over their toes before they put it into their shoe. And I've tried it and it's actually pretty good. I tried uh, it on a day I forgot my chemical. Sh- poop bag? Well, they're a- just small plastic bags. So they're perfect size to put over your foot and not have to like trim the bag. So the thinking presumably is that your feet are going to create a little sauna? Correct. So that question came in a lot. How do you keep your feet from freezing? Now, obviously, everybody's going to be a little bit more nuanced. More, Not more nuanced. Everybody has their nuances. I have never done, at least not in any recent memory, done the plastic bag technique. I am always prone, not just prone to cold hands and feet, but I always experience cold hands and feet. So when I go out, it's I will my feet will never sweat. Like I'm not ever concerned with that. I'm sort of keeping it at various levels of above frostbite. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm kidding, but I'm also dead serious. And then last but not least, if you're living in absolutely frigid climates, and I'm talking where you're not seeing the temperature rise above zero, then A, if you're riding a bike, you're already familiar with all this stuff anyway, and you're sort of laughing at us. Or B, 45 North Wolfgar are literally boots that look they look like a snowboard boot i mean they're comfortable they're they're super comfortable they're they're that's just the extreme boot that's what we wore on james bay um so yeah with a warm sock and a toll warmer that's what we were wearing in negative 40 degree temperatures and if it's cold enough for that boot mm, i might be riding inside so i don't own that boot (laughs) (laughs) yes we do a very good amount of balancing between indoor and outdoor riding based on how many layers of clothes we've already mentioned, 
it is an ordeal to get kitted up as well as an ordeal to get kitted down afterwards. So don't forget, you can also just hop right on your hop right on your trainer and bang out a quick ride, nice and easy. Saris H3. Well, and sometimes, you know, there are days where you're really feeling gung-ho to get out there and feel like a badass or feel the breeze on your face, whatever. And then there are days where it feels really good to sweat and be warm and also be efficient. So yeah, don't feel bad if you aren't always feeling like you want to get out and brave the elements because we definitely have those days too. Yep. Yeah, we have a whole... These are questions that we're answering as sections and training and nutrition and stuff is going to come up later. So we will talk about indoor versus outdoor training. Uh, moving to our next... To our hands. Exactly. What's your? What are your moves? I'm not kidding when I say I probably have a variety of seven to eight options for my hands that I could divide up into two to five degree differences that are go-tos depending on the temperature. (laughs) So I feel like I've really gotten to a point where I have honed in um, which glove will work and not, I mean, I've, it's really difficult. Sometimes you want to, if it's really cold, you want to opt for the warmest glove and you, I've made that mistake many times and then promptly sweat through the glove and then the glove turns frozen. So that is equally miserable. Um, so yeah, I have quite the selection of, you know, everything ranging from the, a, a super thin like liner to, um, we usually opt for either the bar mitts on a drop bar bike, which are the brand is called. Yeah. Bar mitts. Basically the two things that you can use are a brand called bar mitts, like you said, for drop bar or Pogies is the generic term. Cobra Fist is the specific product from 45 North, and those are for flat bar bikes. Um, Cobra Fist are considerably warmer because it's more of an enclosed area. Um, you can cinch things down. You can uh, you could throw a chemical hand warmer in. I do that from time to time and just let that little that area, which is naturally cold, warm up a handful of degrees with a chemical hand warmer. Whereas a bar mitt is more like a neoprene fairing in a way. I mean, it's protecting you from the wind, yeah, which is considerable. I mean, the Cobra Fists are like a pillow around your hand and yeah. the bar. Yeah. They are, I mean, you most of the time need a pretty thin glove underneath or you're going to severely overheat. Yep. I w- again, I will never in- overheat ever when I'm riding outdoors in the winter. But yeah, these are the kind of products that people with maybe normal thermo regulation of their hands would do. Uh, Yeah, with both bar mitts and Cobra Fists, you are able to to temperature up, so to speak, your glove. Um, When it is foolishly cold and I don't want to lose my fingers and mittens, snowboard mittens. I mean, go to go to your ski store, go to your outdoor winter shop and buy a pair of snowboard mittens. Get some Burtons, get whatever the heck. Uh, the advantage of a of mitten is you can also put a hand warmer in there and you don't have the hand warmer, the chemical hand warmer 
you know, singeing your palm and are on the back of your hand, but you can actually get the, your fingers warmer, which is, you know, that is where your fingers are going to hurt. That's where well, your hands are going to hurt. They share the heat together, which yeah. yeah, definitely keeps them warmer. Yep. I mean, people ask all often about the lobster claw style thing. If I'm in the position to say I need a lobster claw because I want one finger trying to warm the other, I'm at, already at the point that I'm going to be wearing a mitten. But that's just the way it is. Um, and speaking, since we've talked about the chemical toe warmers, the chemical hand warmers, I generally don't, I don't know about you, I don't start with them, but I always, if it's below 35 degrees, I put them in my jersey pocket no matter what as an emergency backup. I just don't want to be out and get into a position where my hand is freezing and I Somehow, I rarely end up needing to use it if I know that I have it. <laughs> Funny. Um, related question, not in any way dodging that comment. People, a bunch of people ask the question, are, uh, are pogies, are bar mitts, are they dangerous? Because intuitively, your hands are a little bit locked in in case you need to have an evasive action and remove your hands quickly. Laura, do you find pogies or bar mitts dangerous? Not at all. Um, I was asked this question recently on a on another podcast and I mean, I described it as like with the flat bars, you're riding single track and on a fat bike. At on a fat speeds. bike, yeah. And you don't even notice that they're around your hand because you're still just holding on to the bar as usual. So um, I don't feel any loss of technical ability. Um, and you know, if, first of all, if you fall over on your fat bike in the snow, it generally doesn't hurt very much. Um, but if anything, you just have something there to protect your hand. If you were to fall, I mean, I don't think, I don't really think that you're going to end up hurting yourself with them. What do you think? I would agree. I, I think I fall considerably more on a fat bike than I do riding single track and it's never become an issue. Uh, so yeah, short answer, no. If you find that you make evasive actions and your hand is stuck, bummer. But in our experience, it is not an issue. Uh, what do you want to jump to next? How about, how about keeping your body as clean and dry as possible? Ted, what mud guards or fenders do you use? Now, this is a bit of a funny question because the only thing that fenders are going to do are keep you a little bit less muddy, uh, keep you a little bit less wet because if you're going out for any extended period of time, and by that I mean more than 10 minutes uh, and the roads are a bit damp, then that's all you're really going to be doing. Like you're, You are inevitably going to get wet. So the stuff that we've talked about beforehand are ways to stay as warm and dry as possible with the right clothing choices. From there, fenders do help. I happen to use most recently, and I just purchased them based on 10 minutes of, of internet research, uh, Planet Bike Speed Easy. And they come in a variety of widths, so get the widest ones you can. Um, but I've also tried some SKS Race Blade Pro. Um, I think you put that on my bike right now at the moment. Uh, I believe so. Similarly, uh, from the good folks at SKS, there's the X the letter X, 
extra dry. Um, that is just a quick clip on. That's one that's going to go on your seat post. That is easy on, easy off, easy adjustability. And again, you're preventing a whole bunch of road crap from coming up your, your back and your butt and your spine. Uh, but honestly, any fender is going to do. Uh, we've also used Barfly Rain Fly Rear. Um, that's sort of a cool aesthetically geometric origami style thing that that's worked really well. Um, go for it. At the very it. least, go buy an ass saver. I mean, it's going to do something. It's not, you know, this is, those, these are just the little shorty. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe. It's just like a mini fender. Mm-hmm. It's going to help you. Um not the person behind you, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the joke that I would say. Like, we, the purpose of a fender is the person behind you. Um, not the case with a with an ass saver. Uh, that that's not the total purpose because recently, after you put a fender on my bike, it's made a huge difference. And just you know, your whole backside doesn't get wet, and when your whole backside doesn't get wet, you don't you're not as cold as quickly. Right. Yep. Yeah. It most certainly it is meant for you. It's it makes your bike less filthy for when we get to the section on cleaning your bike. Um, you can head up that section. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think I will. <laughs> I'm curious your insight into. <laughs> hey Ted, I haven't cleaned my bike in three months. Uh, what's my tactic here? <laughs> and when I we did get a lot of questions regarding fenders, there are a lot of folks who are complaining that they rub rubbing is something of an inevitability so when you're riding and there is grime there is snow grit there is all these things like you're going to hear noises that you hope to not hear in the summer based on wearing drivetrain based on snow and grit and sand and dirt in areas that you don't want them including rubbing your fender so yeah i've had luck with the ones that i've mentioned uh currently planet bike speed easy but Try them out. Good luck. It's a oh, and also don't don't by any stretch of the imagination purchase them and plan to slap them on and go for a ride immediately because it takes a bunch of tuning to get that the least amount of rub you can. Truth. It's really hard on a smaller frame to even mount a front fender. Uh, yeah, I was like, Laura, do you want do you want these sweet fenders you have? You're like, no, they're gonna rub. I'm like, yeah, dedicate some time to do it. <laughs> Okay, uh, continuing on the topic of equipment, best tire choice for the snow. Um, any input? I'm happy to tackle this one. Um, I usually ask you what you suggest, so <laughs> why don't you tell us? <laughs> um, and so I have the good fortune of working with Renee Hare's tires. Um, for me, the question is, is much more about width tire pressure and ultimately uh, knobbiness, so to speak. So in all of my riding, I'm riding basically the widest tire possible. Um, With more width, you're going to have more grip. Uh, You can also run lower pressures, which is going to provide more grip. Of course, if we're talking about riding in the snow, then you are going to want some knobbiness. Uh, So, you know, the shortest answer is, it's the widest tire that you can put on your bike. Uh, Hurricane Ridge are 42C. Stellacums are 38C. Um, I, I've been riding Hurricane a ton because I can put a 30, 42C tire in. And then if I'm if I'm sticking to pavement, 
and I'm not going to be riding on snow, but sure, there might be a little bit of snow, there might be a little bit of grit and slush, then I'm perfectly happy on wide, slick tires. Um, I think there is a misconception in riding in for folks who aren't riding in the winter that the road, as soon as it snows, is just filthy and dirty and covered in snow for the next six months or three months or whatever the heck. Whereas the reality is they are plowing quickly. Um, the, the roads can be dry within a day. Literally dry. Caveat. Um, it go. depends where you're from. This is, uh, I, I'd say this varies depending on your geography. Just being from Seattle, uh-huh. um, we dealt a lot more with grimy, icy, and then if it ever snowed, like completely impassable roads. Um, I think that is one perk to being in a place where we're prepared for winter conditions here. The roads are cleared really quickly. They're treated. Um, and that's not something that ever happened in Seattle. Yeah. So I'm going to throw a generalization out there, which is, I think I've had the conversation with people when I say I live in Vermont and I ride through the winter, I'll have people just sort of shocked and be like, well, aren't the roads just a filthy winter mess? I think they're thinking more of Vermont when they say that the roads are, they're frightened about how impassable the roads might be, less so when they think about Seattle. But right, we've been to Seattle during Christmas, during a 7% chance that there is a snowy Christmas in Seattle and we experienced it and cars were everywhere like in the ditch everywhere because there's not the infrastructure to, to clean it up. I, I guess what I'm saying is I've just been impressed. Um, yeah. I'm impressed how often our roads are clear after a snow event or... Um, a snow event. You sound like you work for the Weather Channel. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. My point is if I'm going to ride what's cool about the gravel roads around here is that they get this nice sheen of snow on them and then it's packed down hard hard packed snow and on top of that they lay down uh, they'll lay down dirt which yeah. provides grip and so if I'm going to ride purely that that will be more slippery than riding dry pavement obviously it's at that point that I might start I would still be perfectly comfortable riding wide tires like the snow call me pass those are 44 c tires that offers a tremendous bit of grip if i'm doing a lot of up and down uh on rolling terrain then i might go for the hurricane ridge to get the knob and the knob is going to provide a little bit more strength uh for grip on steep pitches but width is your friend much more than knobbiness is the take-home point which segues nicely to ted I appreciate that these questions largely start with my name. Ted, where do you stand on studded tires? And my answer is that I would, I reserve studded tires for fat bikes. Um, I don't have studded gravel tires. I don't have studded road tires. I don't have studded mountain bike tires outside of, we both, or you don't have them, do you? I've never ridden studded tires with a fat bike and I've never felt like I was missing anything. Hot damn. Well, good. This would be a good back and forth in a good way. I run the five inch 45 North Dillingers with studs. And we got those tires for riding the ice roads of Canada during the James Bay descent. And that's where it's nice. There's just a, tr- it's like driving a car around here with 
with studded tires in your car. It just offers a tremendously high level of confidence when you might, in the very, 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 very off chance, hit ice. You would see ice around here, and it might be dangerous on a bike for like bike paths where you're not getting the same level of road maintenance. So you might have a low patch in a, in a bike path. I'm thinking Burlington, I'm thinking Montpelier, I'm thinking bigger areas that have bike paths. And then if, if there's ever a layer of snow on top of ice, then it's just, that is Ooh, glaring. That makes me think of, remember the very first time we went fat biking? In Middlebury? No. Uh, oh, yeah, in Exeter. Exeter. And we couldn't even make it out of the parking lot because there was just a sheet of ice under that the snow. Funny. Yeah. And we pretty much spent 80%. Well, I don't even know if we ever actually rode bikes. We pushed bikes around the forest until we realized. Yeah, I think and we had gotta, fallen all over the place and we realized it was not Studded tires working. would have re- literally resolved all of that. We got like a, a midwinter ice storm. And then the next day we got like six inches of snow and pillowy, light, fluffy snow on top of that. Just, it's like, I mean, it's so freaking slippery. So I think where we live, we don't see a lot of black ice, but if you ever want to beat black ice entirely, then, then studs are the way to go. And I wasn't dismissing studded gravel tires. I was not dismissing studded mountain bike tires. I personally only find the studded fat bike tires uh, useful around these parts. But there are there's a time and a place for those other ones. So by all means, uh, if you want a new level of confidence, then studs are your friend. Agreed. Um, real quick, what is the best all-around gravel bike for the winter? I live in eastern U- Ontario. Um, I have very similar weather to you, Ted. In other words, a bike that you can you think can handle gravel, snow, single track, or even bike packing. So this is much more a question of clearance, similar to the tire dealio. I mean, at this point, I want to see at least a 40C clearance for tires, or considerably more would be great as well. I mean, like 40 is the is the baseline here. Um, Super X is our friend that's Laura's bike of choice. Even more so than Topstone, I go back and forth between the Topstone and the Super X. Um, one by or two by drivetrains, we'll get into drivetrains. Shortly, I'm indifferent on that choice. For winter riding, it could be to your favor to do a one by only because of the simplicity of one less thing, the front derailleur, to clean up. Did you want? Did you mention anything about uh, tire pressure? I mentioned wider tires allow lower tire pressures. I get the question all the time: Hey, what pressure do you run your tires at? Which I can't help but chuckle at because my weight is different than yours. Most likely, my riding style is different my terrain out the front door is going to be different so tire pressure is a fun thing to play around with we live in an era of good tire sealant and good tires and good rims so it's a very 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 rare and unfortunate event when you leave the house and then you come home and you've lost all your your tire pressure so you know go out with a pump so you can help test and fluctuate uh your tire pressures but by and large you can get away with way less pressure than you expect 
and there are some very good guides out there. So Google best tire pressure guide for gravel riding and you're going to find uh, at least a very good benchmark to start your trials. Good advice. Thank you. Should we move on to bike maintenance? Yeah, Laura, what are your best bike maintenance tips through the winter? Well, I'll lean my bike against the house outside and, you know, kind of orient it in a way that it looks really sad and forlorn. Uh And then I'll wait for you to walk past it a few times and see what happens. (laughs) Uh That's accurate. Go on. And do you purposefully put it under the eave so that the (laughs) roof is leaking on it? And then when we go look at it the next day after we've had a little snow meltage and freezing that the entire bike is encased in ice? Okay, that only happened once a few weeks ago. And then the next day and the next day. Like, wow. You know what? Let's, uh, Let's be serious for a moment. We are being serious about that previous. <laughs> yeah, we we are being serious about that, but let's also let's talk about what holds us back from cleaning our bike. Us? <laughs> let's talk about what holds me back from cleaning okay. my bike. There are a few things. When I walk into the door from a cold ride, um I I get dangerously cold within minutes. Um I pretty much need to run upstairs and go straight into a hot shower to prevent being cold for the rest of the day. Is that or is that not true? In fact, you often... That's both accurate and inaccurate. You you come inside and then say, I need to go take a shower quick. But first you do like 17 other things so that you're at the point of being cold and complaining about being cold. So I say, why didn't you just take a shower? So that brings me to the second point of why I struggle to wash my bike is those 17 other things are things like walking in the door and it being time to breastfeed my daughter or post something on Instagram. (laughs) Maybe guilty of that. Check out my Strava. Um, Sometimes the 17 other things I have to do are legitimately important work, a call, and I just, I definitely can't, I definitely cannot come home and wash my bike without being warm. Like, I don't like washing my bike. If that didn't come through, um, yet on this podcast, I will just put that out there. Let but me interrupt real one- <laughs> quick because you said I'm not going to wash it without being warm. And so then four days later when you decided it was time to clean your bike, <laughs> after about four minutes, I hear you screaming from the garage. I mean, just like letting out spurts and spurts of, of anger so that I literally opened the door to make sure that you hadn't cut your hand off. <laughs> And you're yelling about being cold. Bear in mind, you're wearing a down jacket and this is sometime after having taken a warm shower. So yeah, I think you have a career in bike maintenance. (laughs) The struggle is real. Um, When I am going to, okay, I won't drone on about this, but yes, I get all geared up to go wash my bike. That includes many layers, heavy, heavy jacket. Unfortunately, you cannot have very warm gloves on because I put on the rubber Lobsterman latex, rubber whatever gloves. we have, gloves. Yeah, and they're they're not insulated. And right. so over time with a cold hose, your hand is freezing. Um, 
so yeah, during the winter, I especially think it is a, it's just challenging. It's challenging for me to wash my bike. Laura the other day said, well, you like riding, you like cleaning your bike. And I said, no, I hate cleaning my bike. I like having a clean bike. And so therefore, when I'm riding in bad weather, I am going to ride back home with the anticipation of cleaning my bike so long as I can stand it. I understand the point that sometimes you're going to come home and you are literally shivering and you need to come inside. But if that is not the case, then I will try to adjust my ride length and time to come home with a handful of minutes to know that I can go through the quickest cleaning routine possible. I will absolutely say if you can have the equipment set up so you can have the fastest clean possible, have your bucket ready, have your brush ready, have your soap ready, have your hose ready, and have the location ready, which I realize is not the easiest thing in the world, especially live in a city or something like that. But doing everything you possibly can to be prepared is going to save time in the long run. Um, things to watch out for. Frozen hoses. That is a legitimate concern. So when I know that we're entering a week that is going to be in teens or certainly sub-zero, then I am going to empty the hose every time. Because a frozen hose means it's an inoperable hose and you might be even breaking your spigot. Um, you if good- that means having a warm a bucket of warm water already prepared from the beginning of your ride so that when you get home you can use that, that bucket of warm water, like do that. Uh, the same maintenance is going to go translate to your clothing itself. You're going to want to get as much road crap off of your shoes, off your shoe covers, off your shins as possible, or else you're going to clog up your washing machine in dirt and mud. Um, But then just the quickest cleaning routine possible, I use dish soap. Lather up that bucket, lather up a sponge, do your rims, clean up your brakes, clean up your drivetrain. Um, Quick, sudsy, brush off use a sponge or a brush it's not a bad idea to have two tools one is going to be a greasy tool and one is going to be the other rest of your bike tool and just give it a clean quick one over once over and that's going to take tops okay tops it can take a very long time minimum it's going to take you two and a half or three minutes to suds up wash it spray it and then run inside If you have all the time in the world, then let your bike migrate out of the garage into a warm place because you want water to be drying as quickly as possible. This is going to segue to the question about general (laughs) deterioration of your bike as water and uh, all that muck, all that road snot gets into places in your bike that you don't want it to. That probably is an inevitability, but it's not like I get to the end of a winter and say, my goodness, my bike is a heaping mess and every bearing is seized and every moving part is is a wreck. Because that's not the case because you've done a little bit of maintenance so that maybe three months later you're like, ah, oh, you know what, my, my so-and-so bearings need to be replaced because they have a little bit of a knock to them. Tell us about your bike cleaning on Saturday uh, when you went to ride fat bikes with Ian Boswell. Yes. So you will meet a lot of mechanics who will say don't use a industrial strength pressure washer like the ones you find at a DIY car wash. Um, those mechanics are probably right. But there's a time and a place for them. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I drove by a car wash after, a, after it was a... Basically, the bike was very overdue for, for cleaning. 
Um, and I'm thinking we live in a place that we have the ability to have a hose. We have all these things. We don't live in the city. So if you live next to a DIY car wash and your opportunities are not clean your bike because you don't have access to a hose or your DIY car wash a block or a mile or 10 miles away, I would err on cleaning it over not cleaning it. That's just my two cents. Be aware of where you're spraying that high pressure water. Don't spray it directly into your BB or into your hubs or into your headset or all these other areas. But a clean bike is a happy bike and a happy bike is the one that lets you ride it the next day. I'm going to work on it a little more. Not even April Fool's. That was a good one. Um, how about, let's talk about lights real quick because that came up as a winter riding question. Laura, are you a fan of lights? I am. Do you have any favorites? <laughs> I have, I believe, a Blackburn rear flashing light. Um, Blackburn makes awesome lights. We took a bunch of Blackburns up to the James Bay Descent. Um, everything from Blackburn, I am a big fan of. Uh, especially their front lights had a slightly less luck with their back with their rear lights. Um, one that I really like is the Countdown 1600. So it produces a booming 1600 watts, but then the Countdown feature literally shows a, a digital timer, how much time you have left on the light. Obviously, battery life is a question through the winter, and I find it pretty darn accurate even in super cold temperatures. So that is very handy. Um, other lights might be dying a little bit prematurely on you. The Cyclic, Cyclic, there's a Fly 6 that is a rear light with an HD camera. There's a Fly 12 with a front camera, both of which are light slash camera combos. I've been fans of those over the years. Um, but I guess my take home point on lights is don't use a light that you have mild confidence in. If you're going to use a light, make sure it produces a booming, booming light because I think we can all probably remember the time you're driving down the road or you're out on your bike and you come upon a cyclist and they have a rear light that you don't notice until you're literally next to them because it's just like putting out this stupid little emission. Make your light noticeable. I used to not understand daytime bike lights, but I think they're fantastic. Well, yeah, and then on the topic of visibility that we, we didn't mention in our gear selection, I find myself in the winter going for clothing-wise, the brightest options I can find because everything here is pretty darn dull and muted and s somewhat dark depending on the time of day. And mm -hmm. so a bright yellow jacket or a bright red jacket, um, something that's going to show up is, is an important selection. Yeah, and not to keep harping on Belocio, but that's one thing that I really love is that they're not producing just another black rain jacket, not another black jacket like... Both my signature soft shell and yours. Uh, those are nice, beautiful yellow, not like a gaudy fluoro. I mean, I almost feel, I feel as though a all black selection these days with the amount of distract, distracted drivers on the road is just downright a bad choice altogether. Um, I want to be as, I want to do everything I can to be as visible as possible to hopefully not ever come into contact with a distracted driver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Lord, you use Embro. Bro? You know, I was asked this question recently, and I, my idea of Embro is like you put it on on a 50-degree day in California when you're a little bit chilly and you, you want just an extra little, like, zing on your legs. Um, I don't use embrocation in real winter conditions. Do you? No. One time I used Embro in a positive way and it was a homemade one recommended to me by a coach and it actually worked out or maybe it was something of a placebo and it worked whatever I had a bit of tingling knee pain and he said take some cayenne pepper like Tabasco sauce and olive oil and put that on your a little bit mix it up and put it on your leg and it produces a tingly sensation and it felt great and my tendonitis went away well so it's homemade icy hot <laughs> Uh, yeah, but Icy Hot uses, uh, what's that stuff that's in cigarettes? They don't put Tabasco in, they put menthol. Nicotine? Menthol. Nicotine. (laughs) Come on, we use nicotine. Uh, we used Embro in our, in our world tour days when it's like 40 degrees or 38 degrees and raining and you're about to go race Kent Wiffelgum. You want your like incredibly thin, veiny legs to... You want your veins to really pop? No, 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 no. I, I, not for the stupid aesthetic reason. I said it's 40 degrees and raining. Like, yeah, check out my vein. I know you're saying that. I was just no, there whether is this, that was really true or not. It was, again, to give you that warming sensation and the oil is going to, you know, slick off a little bit of rain for a hot second before you freeze your tail off and race all across the northern Belgian countryside. Um. No, my short answer is I don't use Embro. If you want to, great. I don't truly see a need. So that's just my two cents. Save your Embro money and put it towards something else. (laughs) How do you deal with inspiration? Where do you get the motivation to go outside in the cold? We might have different answers on this one. Um, For me, I very much rely on meeting up with friends and making plans. And um, I even advise setting a route plan in advance and kind of dedicating yourself to it or together dedicating to, um, I guess, to see it through. Um, I just, I think back to a recent ride I did where it started I rode with my friend Rachel. We headed out. It was supposed to be dry all day. We got caught in the rain. And because we had already determined our route prior to leaving, we just decided to stay on it and finish the entire thing and ride through the rain. And I think had we not done that, we may have just called it a day when it started raining and turned around. So, um, you know, just having a goal is helpful. Um, But I think, yeah, for me... I make plans in advance and I, that way when I'm, when it's 25 degrees or 30 degrees and then it's not seeming inviting outside, I already have the accountability of, um, have having made a plan to meet someone and I'm not one to really back out of plans or to be the one that doesn't have the gumption to get out there, I guess. Nice. Um, Everything we have said in the previous hour, hour, oh, good grief. You guys have put up with us for a long time if you're still listening. Everything we've said in the past hour is to make winter riding 
more enjoyable, not less miserable, but literally more enjoyable. Um, so, so that when I look at the forecast for the next day, or I look, you know, flip open your phone and say, okay, what's, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? I'm, I'm anticipating a good ride. You can make decisions based on the last hour in order to have the motivation to go do that ride. If there's a blizzard, if there are very, you know, if they say it's freezing rain and it's going to be frozen tomorrow, like I am perfectly happy to train indoors. I enjoy training indoors. I am, I am literally on a virtual, uh, what is it? I mean, indoor virtual race league. I don't know if you know this about me, Laura. <laughs> I was drafted <laughs> last night. Uh, I, we both really enjoy the efficiency of riding indoors. So we are by no means uh, dismissing indoor riding. This is, this is, again, addressing the question, how do you find the motivation to go outside? Good decisions of what you're going to wear, of how you're going to clean up your bike, of how you're going to maintain the bike, of how, what pressure you're going to have on your tires, of what bike you're going to ride, I think all makes for a, a good, enjoyable subsequent bike ride. Would you agree? I would agree. So let's take, let's just throw up an example so that we can hear what I'm talking about. Opening my weather app tomorrow, it's going to be a low of 25 and a high of 30 degrees. It's going to be overcast. What would you do in a scenario like that? What are you going to do tomorrow? That's right on the cusp of where I kind of will debate a bit what my decision is going to be. Um, I would like to get outside. I will probably ride outside if I have a friend to join me. And if I do not, then I will probably watch Netflix on the trainer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I also, whereas Laura finds motivation in riding with other people, I love riding with other people, but this time of year I have no need to ride behind somebody and get road spray or in front of somebody and spray them. And have to be more vigilant because roads are inevitably a little bit more narrow with with snow sometimes on the shoulders and always being looking, always having to look over my shoulders. So I'm perfectly happy through the winter to ride relatively solo outdoors. Um, I don't know. Where do I get my motivation, inspiration? I love riding my bike. I like riding in cold weather. I like riding in warm weather. I like riding in bad weather. I like riding in good weather. Uh, I'm not masochistic. I'm not chasing bad weather. So if it's bad, I'm perfectly happy to ride inside or switched up and go Nordic skiing, go snowing, shoeing. Take the day off. I think there's something really valuable in that. So what conditions would maybe thwart you from riding outdoors? Uh, I never want to. I, I'm a firm believer that motorists do not like cyclists. And so if I know that there are plows out on the road, I do not want to go out and ride my bike. Um, if I really want to ride my bike and it's snowing and there's plows out on the road, then I'm going to ride my fat bike where we're going to be on public roads for literally a mile or less and you can get away with it. But if it's an extended period of time on snowy roads, it's not the danger that I'm concerned of, of the snow itself or slipperiness of itself. It is pissing off a plow driver knowing that I'm delaying his work or putting him you know, behind schedule or something to that effect. But yeah, I'm really not worried about sliding off the road or anything like that. Uh, and shoot, if it's dumping snow, like, dude, let's go skiing. There's there's not much that would thwart me from riding. I'm not, 
eager if it's like mid thirties and raining. That's another great reason to stay inside. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Where my limits fall would be I don't think there's much worse than cold rain, freezing mm-hmm. cold rain. Mm-hmm. Um below twenty five I will generally opt for the something slower. So either a mountain bike or a fat bike. I don't enjoy. We've gone on a few rides on the gravel bike, riding pretty fast on roads or maybe it was on a road bike um, where I've just been, that's a little beyond my limit for with the wind chill. So I prefer to take the wind chill down a notch. Yeah. So similar question to the last one. How do you assess the risk versus reward of riding on snowy, icy roads, especially for weekend warriors? Is, is the chance of injury worth it? My, my answer there is, is similar to what I was just alluding to, which is I'm not concerned about the slipperiness. Obviously, yes, a snowy road is going to be more slippery than a dry, beautiful midsummer swath of pavement. But with more riding comes more confidence, comes more ability, comes far less danger. So if you are not confident in your riding, then do it infrequently and work on those skills and start to learn to, to feel your bike in a little bit of a skid. Um, learn to trust the drift. Learn to, learn to ride your bike outdoors. And if you don't have the confidence and you don't want the confidence, by all means, stay indoors. It's kind of the same answer I would give when asked about riding while pregnant and the risk reward of that. Um, yeah, confidence in your own skill may, is a major factor. And there's so many nuances of different types of roads that you can choose. So if you feel squirrely on the dirt roads and, you know, choose the pavement and, um, you know, even while pregnant riding a flat bar mountain bike on the road was for me, my most, like, I felt like it was a pretty darn stable option. So, um, you can also pick a different tool for the job to help you feel more safe and secure. Uh, talking about the dangers, what emergency gear do you carry? You know, when I do carry, I guess you would call it emergency gear. Um, lately I have been put attaching my moose packs, little handlebar bag to my bike. And because we're in the age of COVID where you and I both like to often ride to a destination where we want to enjoy a coffee or a pastry. Um, and we're having to do so outside. I will sometimes stow my down jacket in the moose packs along with my extra pair of hand warmer, uh, chemical hand warmers. And well, that's generally about it. Um, just so I can put my down jacket on upon stopping if it's, if it's a pretty cold day. Mm-hmm. Similar answer. Uh, I've uh, found a new appreciation for using frame bags, handlebar bags. Our good friend, Matt Musa of Moose Packs. Um, yeah, it allows you to bring extra chemical hand warmers. It allows you to bring a pump so you can have I mean, of course, you can bring a pump. You can bring these things. You can you can bring anything you want on any ride, but having the extra real estate allows you to bring more of all of the above. And when all else fails, a telephone is not a bad idea. We didn't talk about, uh, maybe we're moving on in, to, oh, you have it down here in... Segway it, do it. I was going to say, how do, we, how do you keep your beverages? 
Your on-bike hydration from freezing. How do you keep your on-bike hydration from freezing? In sub-32 temperatures, liquid is going to freeze to ice. I passed chemistry. Is that a chemistry thing? Yes. It's not... Not biology. Biology. It's not (laughs) physics. I think it's general sciences, ninth grade general sciences. Uh, So yes, turns out liquid freezes. Here are my two moves. One, if you have a thermal bottle, the one that is uh, squishy, it has it resembles a traditional water bottle, but it's squishy and has a little bit of thermo uh, retention to it. You can put boiling hot water in that, and then it's going to freeze less quickly. So if you're out for, I don't know, hour and a half or two hours, it's starting to slush over, and then it is freezing at an exponential rate. So come two hours, 15 minutes, you have a block of ice. So what I'll do... But I also enjoy drinking out of those as opposed to a vacuum-sealed screw-top water bottle, which you're not going to be able to, to drink as spontaneously because you have a screw-top. So I will put boiling hot water in both of those. Through the winter, I'm drinking ginger mapleade almost exclusively. And then super pro tip, one thing that I've been enjoying is adding a scoop of hot cocoa to my ginger mapleade, which then resembles this like spicy, chocolatey, warming ridiculousness. Definitely try that out. It's amazing. I'll put the same hot water in both bottles, the same mixture in both. I will drink the soft bottle, so to speak, as quickly as I need to in order to not make it frozen. And then I can stop, unscrew the the vacuum seal bottle, refill the other one, and then I have another boiling hot, piping hot bottle of delicious uh, hydration. What do you do? Um, I would say generally, well, I don't, I don't. I don't drink. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say first and foremost, it's hard. It's hard to hydrate in the cold. So I'm working on reminding myself to drink. Um, it's hard because the water in your even in a soft thermal bottle quickly turns freezing and I when you sip it it only seems to make me feel colder um but I I rarely carry the the big thermos that you have to unscrew not big I mean it fits in a water bottle cage that's yeah I guess it's big because it's heavy moot point <laughs> uh it's a good, another question we got. How does your nutrition change summer versus winter? You're right. It's a, drinking is a conscious choice as opposed to, you know, screaming thirst in the summer. And maybe unlike you, in the, in the case that it's an extreme cold day, I'm probably just happy to get out for less than an hour and a half and I can get away with not having a ton of hydration in an hour and a half ride. Whereas you might be going to ride 200 miles like you did last week. Yeah. And you absolutely needed to hydrate. Well, the other advantage of my technique, especially if you're doing the longer rides is going into gas stations, uh, which of course, you know, you do so with your hand sanitizer and all that jazz. There is the coffee maker. And then above the coffee maker is the orange spout. Some would call it orange. Orange, orange. There's a spout the color of 
red versus red plus yellow. Laura doesn't like the way I pronounce orange. And uh, you you dial the spout and it produces piping hot water, which is so nice. Then you can like thaw out your frozen water bottle. This is again for those longer, longer rides through the winter. Uh, yeah, no doubt. It is a it is a decision you should be trying to consciously drink more. Um, you know, you want to make an incentive. Like I said, that that spicy cinnamon mapleade, like I mean not cinnamon, ginger, mapleade. It's delicious. I look forward to it. Or similar piping hot lemon tea mapleade. Like it's it is refreshing, it is warm, it is spicy, it is awesome. So not to divert from our topic at the moment, but just touching on your two hundred mile ride, uh two hundred Nine mile ride, six mile ride. Yeah, something. Uh, last week, two hundred on one hundred, baby. I want to say, what was the average temperature of that ride? It said fifteen on Under. some post thing. I would, I would think more accurately, average more 20, one, yeah. 22. So, were there any points during that ride where you were incredibly uncomfortable or? How are you temperature-wise for that ride? Quick summary, 200 to 100. The 200 plus miles spanning the north to south route of Cross Vermont. Um, I left on January 1st at a little before 6 a.m. and I rode this route. It was super cold when I when I set out. I think I was pretty hyped up on uh, endorphins and warmth from rolling out of my sleeping bag. The coldest moments were probably three hours in when I was rolling into Waterbury. And that was nice because, and this is a good good point, because at that point I was going to PK Coffee. I met Tim, went for a little pick-me-up of a hot coffee. Even without COVID, it's troubling to go into a coffee shop to try to warm up. Let's pretend that you can actually sit inside in a, in a post-COVID era. Because like we've already talked about when Laura finishes her ride and it's time to clean your bike, like you are hopefully warm, but your body is sweating, sitting still. It's not producing that furnace-like heat and so you're going to be cold. So keep those stops to a minimum, even though it might sound great to like stop and warm up with a hot cocoa or coffee. I was cold there. My hands were cold there. The body was warm. I knew the temperature was going to warm up over the course of the day and I didn't want to be lugging around a lot of clothes so I dressed a little bit lighter, anticipating warming up. It did work out in my favor. It did warm up to, warm up to mid-20s. Uh, obviously, this time of year is short sunlight, so you really embrace that midday sun because come early afternoon, it's already starting to look like dusk, and then 4.30, the sun is down. But yeah, that, that was a good on the spot question you should be a you should be a podcast host that was good because it touches on lights preparedness clothes fenders equipment it was uh yeah you're sort of all out there in those point to point rides well to continue my my good segueing here <laughs> you rode 200 miles and you weren't training high mileage prior to that so can you get quality training indoors and still be competitive Short answer, yes. Definitely, yes. Most definitely. Um, I find that indoor training is extremely conducive to focus training. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the conditions that you're going to get outside in the winter are quite variable. And I remember the last time we were 
on a ride together to Westford and, you know, the, the dirt roads were pretty packed with snow and I was like kind of cautiously descending them and having a hard time keeping up with you. And I think there can be points along the ride like that, where if you were trying to get in a specific interval and you hit terrain that is not conducive to that, um, it's just a nice to have a controlled environment indoors and be able to not have to focus on anything but that interval. Big time. I was riding with Ian. I went fat biking with Ian Boswell a couple of days ago and we, was that yesterday? Two days ago. Okay. Yeah, that was two days ago. Again, this alcohol-free beer is really getting to me. Um, <laughs> we were joking about on a fat bike, you can only go so hard. Basically, you have zone two or zone two and a half. Um, it's really hard, especially on a fat bike. It's hard to go really deep. It's hard to sustain energy uh, and uh, output. No different than riding outdoors in general through the winter. I mean, you feel a little bit slowed down wearing all these clothes. So my point being, riding outdoors is a great way to get your foundation. It's a great way to get your base. It's a great way to get your longer endurance rides because I think uh, most people might complain about indoor riding for extended periods of time, understandably. It's a good way to just get your head straight because a lot of people need some fresh air, especially during COVID for me a lot. (laughs) The only time I get outside in a day is if I'm getting out on my bike. So yeah, outdoors... That's where you're going to get your, your endurance base, your bigger miles. Uh, save it for, I mean, you can be more selective this way too. You can say, oh, the weather's going to be good on Thursday so long as you have the ability to move your, your work or life around. Easier said than done. Or pick a good day on the weekend and get those longer rides in. Indoors, the specificity that you can get on indoor by indoor training is second to none. Um, what's your What's your current preferred indoor workout what's your best bang for the buck Ooh, i've only recently begun to do some more to choose some i really enjoy trainer road i'm not a big zwifter Uh um so i often scroll through trainer road um let's see two two come to mind one that you made fun of me for because you said it was a july workout that i was doing in december i think it was like 27 vo2 efforts maybe that was a little silly but i didn't know i just selected a workout i didn't make fun of her i was like wow that's ambitious for december 10th (laughs) actually that's your birthday so you didn't do it then um i did a sweet spot workout the other day that i enjoyed i'm gonna go with that we're both big fans of trainer road in that it's nice there's always a countdown interval so you can, there is never time to totally divert your, your energy and effort. I feel like, I feel like that's training indoors in general is you're like, you're often just sort of counting down the time. How can I be done quickly? But this is nonstop counting down from 30 seconds to three minutes for five minutes or less. And so it's just like this, this anxious moment of countdown, 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 which I don't know, it excites both of us. It enjoys, it, it allows us to enjoy that indoor riding. And you can still have your movie going, your podcast going, whatever. Yeah, it diversion. just breaks it up in a way that makes it that one, you know, you're focused on that one interval rather than focusing on how much time you still have left. Mm-hmm. I did a, a team time trial, my first ever team time trial in a virtual setting. This is part of my Zwift league. Uh, it was 
a comedy of errors as much as it was really fun. Um, yeah, there's some really cool things going on with virtual riding where we're all connected by not headsets, but just what Bluetooth headsets. <laughs> uh, so it's cool to, to hang out with your buds, and you know, I, I all of a sudden do get the the connection of the virtual riding. So not scoffing at Zwift. There's a time and place for that. There's there's of course Ruby. There are there are some really cool training uh, tools out there. And on that note of the virtual, I'm I'm segueing in a discombobulated way. I enjoy over under workouts. So over threshold, under threshold. So go over threshold for say 30 seconds, like a VO2 effort, and then drop down to really hard tempo or your very low end of threshold for, for two and a half, three minutes. Hard, sustainable, very strong bang for your buck. <sighs> what else are you thinking? I'm wondering if we have turned on my heated mattress fat. It's almost bedtime. <laughs> Yeah. Our heated mattress pad, but I most often turn on my side and you leave yours off just to bring up our temperature differences again. I agree to disagree. I like, I turn mine on plenty. I probably just turn mine on more infrequently and less high. No disagreement in our te- temperature fluctuations. Uh, I am not fluctuations, just temperatureness. I went to the, to, I had a general checkup at the doctor the other day. I think they call these things a physical. And they went to, they were drawing blood and they touched my hand. They're like, my gosh, your hands are freezing. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess they are cold. I hadn't thought about it. Like, I run warm, but then if I ever am cold outside of being freezing on a bike, I don't really think about it. You know, like if I'm cold, it's just, I think I'm partially cold blooded. <laughs> I can just deal with it. Whereas if you're cold, then you better put your third down jacket on because it's time to warm up. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's time to go get in your hot electric bed pad. My Alaska native heritage is somehow not working for me. <laughs> it was a recessive gene. <laughs> All right, y'all. Hopefully that has been at least mildly helpful. If not, and we didn't address your question... Uh, send me a question. Reach out on the old Instagram machine or he is Ted King at gmail.com. Um, or go bother Laura on her Instagram, <laughs> which is Laura Cameron King. There you have it. Peace out, my friends. Thank you for listening. Until next time, please enjoy the ride.